Hi everyone, I'm Damon Klotz, and welcome to the Culture First podcast. Before we start the episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by CultureAmp. CultureAmp helps companies to create a better world of work. Using people science and technology, we give companies the tools and support to create high-performing cultures and ultimately deliver on more humanity at work. You can learn more about CultureAmp as well as find all of the episodes from this show at culturefirstpodcast.com. All right, let's get started. People hear me say this a lot, but I say every job is a DEI job. And so you can push for equity. And in fact, you're more likely to get more things done by not going into this as a career. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. I'm your host, Damon Klotz. Over the coming weeks and months, I'm going to be focusing this podcast on exploring and talking about some of the themes and sessions from our upcoming Culture First 2021 experience. Now, if I've stopped you in your tracks and you're thinking, what is Culture First 2021? Well, you might have missed my episode with Chip Conley that we just released, because in that episode, I made a big announcement. Culture First is back, and we're going to be hosting three experiences for our global community in the months of May, June, and July of the year 2021. You can learn more about those events by heading to culturefirstglobal.culturamp.com. And when you're there, make sure you sign up and get your free ticket and let us know that you're a listener of the podcast. It's always great to see who's listening and I like to recognize our listeners from time to time. So make sure when you do sign up, you let me know. So here at Culture Amp, our mission is to create a better world of work. And that starts by putting culture first. At the heart of this idea is ensuring that our workplaces, systems and processes are being equitably designed. The changes that we need to see in the world will be driven by organisational leaders, by structures, and then by all of us as individuals, because we all have a responsibility and a role to play to create the world that we know can exist. One of the main topics we're going to be talking about at these events is building an anti-racist organisation. In this episode, we're going to explore that topic further as well as announce one of our keynote speakers. Now, when I bring up that topic, you might already be sitting here guessing who that speaker is. And if you're thinking to yourself, hang on, is it that Time Magazine 100 most influential people in the world speaker? Then you'd be right. But if you want to get the full announcement, you're going to have to listen to this episode. All right, so it's time to introduce my guest for this episode. I'd like to welcome Aubrey Blanche to the Culture First podcast. Aubrey is the Director of Equitable Design, Product and People at CultureAmp. Through all of her work, she seeks to question, reimagine and redesign the systems and practices that surround us to ensure that all people can access equitable opportunities and build a better world. So Aubrey, thanks so much for joining me today on the Culture First podcast. Thank you so much for letting me on. I feel really honored since I've told you, and this isn't just me buttering you up, that Culture First is the only podcast that I listen to um, consistently. So I feel really extra special to get to be on today. 
So as one of those people, and you're not the first person who's told me that, and some of them are my family members who go, I don't listen to any podcast, Damon, but the one I do is yours. So I do actually appreciate that. But out of someone who is not a big podcast listener, but has been listening to Culture First, what has been your favorite episode so far and why? Um, I think my two favorites. So Michelle Kim, without question, I think she's just so incredibly brilliant. Um, I feel lucky to also call her a friend, but I think that the wisdom that she brings to this work is really unparalleled. And then the other one, just because I'm a super fan, is Esther Perel. So the fact that you got her on the podcast, I was very excited about in general. But those are the two that I've listened to multiple times. Yes, Esther Perel is still the number one most downloaded episode of the Culture First podcast. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, the rest of the world has. So get out there and listen to it. And then Michelle Kim's was incredibly uh, an important episode for not only last year, but also this year and ongoing about how to talk about things like politics and race in the workplace. And uh, yes, she is someone who has been a longtime partner of Culture Amp and someone who I um, enjoyed the conversation with, but also has been widely downloaded as well because it's an important topic that more people need to listen to. And it's going to, some of those topics are going to come up in today's conversation. I wanted to start more at the human level and let the audience learn a little bit more about you as a person. So obviously, I've had the pleasure of knowing you even before you joined Cold Tramp, as well as um, your time here over the past um, more than 12 months now. But for those who might be listening to this and going, sounds great, Amon, you're interviewing a friend of yours, but I don't know anything about Aubrey. So let's learn a little bit more about you. So what do you say to a 10-year-old who asks you, excuse me, what do you do for work? Oh, I tell people that I try to make work a kinder, better place so that the world is more fair. Ooh, love that. And I think a 10-year-old can digest that. They're like, yeah, can you also start so. with my school? Yeah, I also think that like 10-year-old me would be like, you did pretty good, Blanche. <laughs> uh, if only we could have those conversations with our 10-year-old selves. What is, and I know this is a podcast, but for those of you who might have seen your profile picture or looked at your LinkedIn, this question is still relevant, which is, what is something people would not know about you by looking at you? I'm a classically trained mezzo-soprano. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> oh, great. So I was, I was trained um, as, an, uh, like as a classical voice and opera singer. And so my vocal range is like the mid-range for women, but fun fact, because my range was big enough, I always had to sing the alto part, which is sort of like the lower women's part in choirs. And um, mm. I originally started college through a voice program, but switched to journalism. There you go. I did not know that about you. So that's a fun little fact. And then my third uh, question in this little get to know Aubrey Blanche series is, can you tell me about the time that you first experienced or understood what inequality meant? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'll tell you the story about when I found out that being Mexican American meant different and kind of bad. So um, when I was in, uh, in middle school, we celebrated what we called Heritage Day. And they gave us this little assignment where we had to color a flag of the place where our ancestors were from. And now I'm adopted, but, and I knew part of my biological family and, and we knew that my biological mother was Mexican American. So that makes me Mexican American, Latina. And, um, in my house, we always talked about our heritage. So my adoptive mom, uh, was Irish and Belgian. My adoptive dad is native American, French and German. And I was Mexican, which is a mix of sort of European and indig indigenous heritages. And 
so and they organized the flags so they put all the Brits together, all the Germans together, and me and my classmate who was adopted from South Korea were kind of over in the corner by ourselves because nobody else matched our flags. And that sort of difference, um, it led to kids teasing me about being Mexican throughout my school years. And so that's what really taught me that there was a different status. Like it taught me the concept of status. But then the second moment I'll link it to, because I know we're going to get into this, is um, it's a podcast, so I know people can't see my face, but if you look at my pictures, I'm very light-skinned, I have light eyes. Um, and so it was when I went to college, actually, and people stopped like racially teasing me, that I learned what white passing was. <laughs> and I learned that for me specifically, if I don't come out, racism is almost optional. And so I think those two moments have really defined how I see inequality and how I see privilege and both how it impacts my leadership and how I think about helping other people's experiences as well. I think in those early formative years, like the labels that we give ourselves as well as the labels that people put on us have such an impact on not only our own self-worth but also how we see and operate within the world and the and the systems that we sort of put ourselves in. And I know um, I want to thank you for sharing that because it's obviously had such a formative experience on your work. Was there was there a moment when you kind of got more into the diversity, equity and inclusion space where you kind of looked back at that and said, like, was that the moment where you were like, I understood that for the first time and I want to do something different? Or is it more of a workplace moment in your in your experience where you were like, no, there's actually like sy systematic change that we need to do that I've experienced that I want to actually be part of? So I've always been someone who is overly preoccupied with fairness so even as a kid, um, this is a story that my dad actually told at my wedding. I don't know why, but I'll share it with you, which was I was probably about six and I used to play this game with my dad um, where I'd try to steal a book off his bookshelf and read it before he noticed and put it back. And um, and one of the books I read, it had some describing some inequality. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, this isn't fair. And I was just like a bereft seven-year-old. And, um, and he says, well, Ob, you know, the world's not fair. And I just got so angry at him. And I said, well, what a lazy thing to say. Like, I just, I just couldn't kind of grok, like, that you know about an inequality and you don't try to fix it. And so I think that makes it kind of what I do in the world seem sort of inevitable. But the moment that I sort of decided to, I guess, take inequity in my own hands and try to fix it was really my first tech job. So I dropped out of Stanford because I had seen kind of the systemic barriers to me as a, as a Latina woman, and I didn't feel like I could be successful in that environment. So I said, screw it. I want to be successful. I'll go to a different environment. And I went to tech, not knowing that tech has the same, if not you know, more extreme issues. But I was at a company where I kind of walked in and I was like, wait, we're in California. Where are all the Hispanic people? <laughs> like Just as like the most basic question, because I was hearing these sort of standard Silicon Valley tropes about we're a meritocracy, we hire the best. And I'm like, you can't hire the best if you're hiring this white. Like that's, and you know, I'm a math person. And so for me, it was just statistically impossible. And I couldn't get my brain around these really smart data-driven people saying these things that were so clearly racist and also, also anti-mathematical. And so I used my training as a social scientist. So at Stanford, I uh, got a master's in political science. I said, you know what? I've got a skill set that can help. And isn't what I always say is if you see inequality, you should do something about it. 
And so I went into DEI not having the appropriate knowledge that it was an actual field. Um, I just got obsessed with a problem and kind of chased it until someone gave me a job in it. Yeah, like now it's a, you know, obviously a very important uh, role within organizations and also a very in-demand role. And over the last sort of, you know, 24 to 36 months, we've seen more and more people entering this field as well as a huge demand on it, which is something that um, I know a lot of people come to you for advice on as well, which is about how do I enter this field or how do I get coaching and support in this field? Um, So I guess for anyone who's listening who wants to learn more about like who's having that moment where you're like i've seen some of these th- these problems and i actually want to do something about it and like have that moment like you had with your dad where it was like what do you mean you know this is true yet you want to accept it and not change it um yeah like do you have any advice for someone who comes to you and says like i want to be part of that change i want to enter this field how do i like where do i start Yeah, I think the first part is separating, I want to be a part of this change from I want to be in this field. Um, Because the fact is, most people who say that don't actually want to do the work that this field comprises of. So I always, I think um, people hear me say this a lot, but I say every job is a DEI job. And so you can push for equity. And in fact, you're more likely to get more things done by not going into this as a career. Just to be honest, you basically put yourself at the bottom of the the pay and the hierarchy and the social um, pyramid when you go into this career. So that's the first thing is I would say, find out what it actually consists of. Because if you really like dealing with sticky people problems, managing organizational bureaucracy, writing HR strategies and policies, then maybe you should think about being in this career. But if you're not interested in doing that work, you're likely going to be more effective by staying in your current role and simply taking an equity lens to anything you do. And that's really sort of my theory of change I call equitable design. And so I would just encourage you to think that every single interaction and choice and behavior and process that you engage with, engage in, in your role is something that you can adjust by 1% to make more equitable. And if every one of us who was passionate about these topics took that on, we would change the world in ways that are so much faster than you trying to make a career pivot. So that's what I would say is I I don't want to discourage everyone. I I love my line of work and it's really well suited to me, to my strengths and my weaknesses and my interests. But what I find is most people, they're frustrated and they think that they can get more done as a head of DEI or a DEI program manager. And that's just not often true. No, I love that you call out that distinction that like this is a role that everyone can play when it's like, especially if it's not your title, like there's a bunch of people who are going to go into this profession and be trained in it. And I'm sure there'll be certifications and things in in the future in the way that a lot of other emerging professions, you know, even when I look back at uh, sort of my time in the HR sort of fields when people needed a bunch of certificates to even just prove that they could be in that space. So I think you know, this is still at the very important foundational stages. But what's important, I think, for everyone at, at, at this level to understand is everyone can play a role. Everyone can be a part of, it, of this change. And hopefully the societal movements that we're seeing encourages more people to be on that journey. And I think for a lot of people to sort of actually see everything with an equity lens, they have started with a lot of education and to educate themselves. So I think this is a good time to bring up our first keynote speaker that we're going to be announcing at Culture First 2021. So for those um, who don't know, Culture First is coming back, our Culture Amps event series. We're going to be doing it over the months of May, June and July in three different time zones. 
And this topic uh, that we're going to, you know, one of the main topics we're going to be talking about is building an anti-racist organization. So, uh, Aubrey, would you like to do the pleasure of announcing our first keynote speaker? Yes. So I'm incredibly excited to say that our keynote, along with our CEO, Didier Elzinga, is going to be Dr. Abram X. Kendi, author of Stamped from the Beginning and How to Be an Anti-Racist, discussing how to build and evolve as an anti-racist organization. So bringing one of the leading experts in the world, especially on anti-Black racism, to talk to our CEO, both about how other companies can do this, but also reflecting on the anti-racism journey that Culture Amps been on over the last year. So like I said, so many people have been wanting to educate themselves and uh, Dr. Ibram's work has been at the heart of that and you know, from his book and, and his research. And um, I'd love to sort of go a little bit deeper on some of, some of these subjects to give people a little bit of a preview of what we're going to sort of be talking about more at this event. And um, you know, when we look back at, you know, I'm an Australian living in America, as well as what was, you know, I've been seeing in all the different countries around the world over the last sort of 12 months is that, you know, workplaces have been, um, have had to create containers of conversations about racism, about white supremacy, and about equality, to only name a few of the subjects that leaders have been, you know, um, talking about with their teams. And I think at the heart of these conversations has been, you know, commitments by some individuals and organizations, not all. I'm definitely not saying that all organizations have been on this journey, but we're hoping more do. And but and they're moving from saying that they're not racist to actually being anti-racist. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about why that's a critical shift in both the thinking as well as the strategy at an organizational as well as an individual level. Yeah, so I think it's really important, especially as we're talking about mostly capitalistic organizations, to say that we can evolve to be more anti-racist but that we're self-defeating when we say we are anti-racist because being anti-racist is a constant process. And this is something that I sort of thought about, but really learned from Dr. Kendi's work. And I think why it's important is because even, well, I think commitments, a lot of those commitments weren't followed up with serious resourcing plans. I do think that even the the breadth of the commitments that were made really shifted the Overton window of what corporations are supposed to be and supposed to do, really bringing us back from this sort of shareholder supremacy norm that that has been in place for so long. And I think it's laying the groundwork for companies to take more social responsibility. And that's individuals, that's leaders inside companies, and also the companies themselves. That said, I'm not of the school that every company has to have an opinion on everything. I think that as, you know, culture, a company that's culture first, that has an ambition to create a place where BIPOC people can thrive as much as any of their peers from other groups, that for us, it was especially important not just to sort of make that commitment, which we did and which many other companies did as well, but also really invest deeply in education for our entire workforce about anti-racism, about building operations that supported and considered um, racially underrepresented people and helped us, quite frankly, just prepare to be the business we want to be, especially in a time where we're seeing um, not just ongoing, but increased violence, whether that's the shooting of Mr. Wright. And I want to say, I don't believe that was an accident because there's simply too many accidents when it comes to Black lives, but also thinking about AAPI generated hate and things like that. So I think that it's about it's about this evolution. And that's really, I think, why we're excited to have Dr. Kendi on, but I also wanted to highlight um, for people who are a big fan of hers that um, we have a fantastic moderator 
for that discussion as well. So Elisa Forneray, um, who is one of our uh, content managers, but who is also a leader in the Black grief space, um, will be actually creating that container for that discussion at Culture First. So I am very, very excited to tune in for that and see um, what kind of report card Dr. Kendi gives us on our work. Yeah, and, you know, being open about our work and our journey and what we're doing. And I think, you know, um, as an early Culture Amp employee and as someone who sort of um, joined when it was mainly straight white men at the company and then the journey that we've been on to pay down that diversity debt to think about six years later we're going to be have Dr. Ibram speaking in front of, you know, 20,000 people is going to be an impactful moment vote for us on our journey but as well as to hopefully inspire more companies to go on that journey and i think it's an, it's an important call out that you made that like you don't achieve this it's not a certification it's not a status you don't get to check that box and say we've made it we're an anti-racist organization it's a consistent journey of uh attuning to what is happening and not trying to attain something because as we're seeing every day every week every month society is changing the fabric of our organizations are changing and as people who are responsible for the people and culture strategies we're being asked as leaders to do so much to kind of show up for our employees and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to create an equitable experience and when i think about an organization who wants to go on that commitment and wants to start that journey you know um, i know you've spoken a lot about that that journey needs to start internally first and when we created a plan to become an anti-racist organization, you know, there was four pillars in that plan, support, accountability, education, and access. Could you, could you share with our listeners why those four are so critical? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the first one around support was really about supporting our Black and Indigenous employees. So that included things like running a culturally aware mental health program to help our Black employees build resilience because they have to live in a world that is just foundationally and fundamentally unjust, especially in the U.S., but I don't want to act like just because America perfected racism does and colonialism doesn't mean it was the only place where that was happening. Um, and we've run that program again this year, except we've also opened it up to our Asian employees because of the rise of anti-Asian hate and violence that's come from sort of this fascism that's that's rising globally in the face of, of the coronavirus pandemic. The second around accountability was we really needed to set a set of goals that made sense um, for, for us. And that meant, you know, looking at what are the goals we're setting? What are the key targets? What are the outcomes we're looking for? And then also from a subjective experience perspective, are our Black employees having a better experience? So we had objective goals like, 70%, which we achieved, like 70% of our senior leaders engaging in anti-racism learning in action, um, but also things like looking at the belonging and development of Black employees. And I'm very excited to say that, you know, sort of Black employees were 10 percentage points more likely to say they feel like they are 26 points more likely to say they belong at Culture Amp and 10 percentage points more likely than our average to say that they believe that Culture Amp was a place to make a contribution to their development. So that were big wins for us. Third pillar education is, um, is you know, just was really crucial because we had a lot of intent, good intention and desire for action. But because we had a majority white workforce, our, our employees didn't always know what action was the one to get to their intended outcome. And so we offered a variety of things. Our entire senior leadership 
um, sort of our C-suite, as well as a few of our VPs, went through a five-month anti-racism coaching program. Um, we created anti-racism goals um, that were strongly recommended for our senior leaders and recommended for others. Many um, employees of whom took that on. We partnered with Seed and Spark to do a racial justice um, film and media-based education program. And some of our white employees even uh, started an allies reading group that continues to this day. So lots of different things in the education bucket. And then access, um, that was really about improving our knowledge management to make sure that people could find the information they needed to do their jobs. And also thinking about um, over overhauling our recruiting to make it more welcoming. And while it was a stretch goal for us to improve the representation of um, employees from Black and Indigenous backgrounds, we're incredibly excited to say that over the last year, we have significantly improved that. Um, so that in the U.S., for example, about 10% of our U.S.-based employees identify as, as Black. So not quite to full population representation yet, but certainly some big steps forward in year one of this plan. And many of those programs continue into year two, knowing, especially the supporting programs, knowing that our Black employees are still living in a deeply unjust world. There's so much important work that's gone on in the last 12 months to really like build out, out those pillars and make sure that you're taking the entire company on that journey, but also like centering the experience on the people that were actually trying to improve their experience at CultureAmp and actually make sure that they feel supported first and like building on that before we get into the accountability, education and access. And um, there's uh, more information that I can sort of put in the in the show notes about that work as well as a, a blog post about how we're going on that plan um, since we, we've put it out. But I wanted to kind of, you know, that's what we've been doing inside of CultureAmp and what we're going to be talking more about um, at CultureFirst this year. The other thing that, you know, we can do as organizations is actually use the platform that we have to actually change the world. And in previous episodes of this podcast, you know, I've interviewed people about the topic of activism and like, you know, what does it mean to be an activist organization? What does it mean to have an activist CEO? You know, and like, like you mentioned earlier, what what do you speak up about? What do you not speak up about? When does when does an organization need to take a stance on something? And I think what we saw a lot last year was, organizations who are very quick to make an announcement to the world, but very slow to make an announcement to their employees, very quick mm -hmm. to create an ad saying something to the world about their intentions, very slow to actually learn about the experience their employees were having about that subject. And when I, um, on a previous episode of this podcast, I spoke with Doray McKesson and I asked him a lot of those questions around, you know, what is the role that organizations need to play in creating the world that we know can and should exist that is more equitable for everyone. And, I think when I think about this, I think that, you know, companies have platforms, if they're a software company, like literally a software platform, but whatever platform or whatever product you have, they have access to communities, they have access to resources, and they also make decisions every single day that impacts the world. You know, who you buy from, who, are, you know, who are your suppliers, how do you actually, you know, make those day-to-day -day decisions, which every employee is part of. And, you know, I think one of the things that makes me incredibly proud to work at CultureAmp is that we had very tangible ways of using our platform, our resources to actually improve the world of work, which is obviously, you know, a huge part of our mission here. So could you speak a little bit more about sort of our journey on, you know, using the resources and platform and then specifically sharing a little bit about uh, the Kevin Wiggins Racial Justice NFP grant as well as our Black and Indigenous-owned business discount? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, one of the things we're really lucky at CultureAmp in that the software that we sell actually can help people move forward on their DEI journey. And so what do we offer the world in this vein was a little bit more obvious, I guess, than than some others. But we know that DEI consultants and expert in-house experts all over the world use CultureAmp's engagement and employee experience platform to sort of identify um, where are there gaps in their organization and then hold themselves accountable with our inclusion survey, our heat maps, all of that. Um, and I am lucky enough to get to work on that um, as, as a part of my day job to help us push push the envelope forward there. And there, there'll be some exciting things coming out later this year. But um, to talk about I, uh, the piece is close to my heart, and I want to I want to give a shout out to one of our white allies, our VP of account management, Will Warhain, who really was, you know, the father of this initiative to use a little bit of ancestral lineage. But but I want to talk first about our Kevin Wiggins uh, racial justice nonprofit grant. And so what that does is that provides for nonprofits free access to Culture Amp software. You can find out more about it on our website. But it's named after um, the special advisor to our first anti-racism plan, Kevin Wiggins, um, who was an SDR at Culture Amp and really um, the reason that the grant is named after him is because if there's anyone who was the heart of our anti-racism initiatives, who brought just an incredible amount of, of vulnerability and humanity and, and, and passion to the work, it was him. And so because we're a, a software company and we don't have a building, we can't put his name on the building. And so putting his name on the website is just about the closest thing that we could do. And so he's moved on into his next career journey with us. But but that spirit, sort of thinking of him as the pilot light um, that keeps us going. And so we're really grateful to have provided, um, even just this year, more than $150,000 worth of software with a goal of um, providing a million dollars over over three years of free software. The second uh, piece of work that Will really drove forward and I was lucky enough to be able to support him on is our Black and Indigenous-owned discount. So we recognize that that um, it, it's it's the largest discount we offer for-profit customers at 38%. And that 38% recognizes the wage gap in the U.S. between white men and Black women. Um, but the goal there is really that we wanted Black and Indigenous-owned businesses to have more money to invest in their own growth or in their own people while still having access to the power of the Culture Amp platform. And so that's simply a come to us um, and tell us about your business. And that discount is automatically applied because we believe that that it is important and that's something we can do as a white-owned and a white-founded business primarily. Um, and one thing I love is when we see copycats. And so some other folks in our category have also started their own programs. And so I think we should be really proud to have, have set that standard, but I'm even more excited to see others in our category doing the same because ultimately that does what we should be thinking about, which is benefiting materially, financially, the Black and Indigenous communities. And so that's a way that we as a company are trying to live our anti-racism journey is by providing equitable pricing and equitable access, not only to Culture Amp as a company, but to Culture Amp's products and services. And I think that's a really great example of when it's not about one company doing this, but entire industry or a category actually rising up together to say, like, what can we do? What are we willing to stand for? To actually, like, if we're all going to have a, a mission around creating a better world of work, then, like, let's actually do that. And let's actually use our platforms, our resources, our people to do that. So, yeah, you know, like, we've been on an amazing journey over the last 18 
uh, to 24 months in terms of, well, even even before then, like, you know, our diversity and inclusion research that we were doing that we partnered on with Paradigm, which was probably 2016 or 17. I remember being at some of those events. Like we've been, you know, doing this work for a long time, but there's still a huge amount of work to do. And I think hopefully people listening to this podcast can learn more about like as an individual, what can I do every day? Uh, to create a more equitable world of work, you know, what are the decisions I'm making? How do I actually go on that education journey, as well as at the organisational level, knowing that there's um, not just commitments, but also a process of, of work that needs needs to definitely start if it hasn't already, but obviously continue because there is no there is no end game of being certified as an anti racist organisation. There's just a continuation of work to use whatever platforms we have to create a better experience, both for, you know, first and foremost, for the employees who choose to work at your organization, as well as all of the different communities and people that you work with as representatives of that company. So the final little thing that we're going to do on this episode to kind of announce to the world is, uh, you know, you've only been at Coltramp for the last sort of, you know, just over 12 months now, but you've been a part of our community for a long time. And this is going to be, you know, a really special culture first because it's 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 global. It's available in multiple time zones. It's available to all of our audience. So we're also going to announce that you are going to be one of our MCs for our North America events. And maybe just to end this episode, why are you personally so excited to be able to create this container for our community? I'm so excited. So as someone who's been to a culture first and who also chased down culture amp and begged the CEO to give me a job for people who don't know the story, I wrote him a statistical model about why I was a great hire. Um, but I'm so excited because I look at who we're having as guests and the idea to get to participate at and build a container along with my incredible partner in not crime, uh, culture Craig Foreman. Um, we're going to get to MC the event. So I'm thrilled to get to do it as a team with a team that I love so much and care about and have had the luck to work alongside for a year. So the fact that my first culture first as a culture, as a camper, um, I love that. There are not enough happy camper jokes at Culture Amp. I will just say that. I will make many during Culture First. Prepare yourselves. Um, but really, I, I think I'm excited because I have gotten so much out of this event as a practitioner and as a human being. And so to be able to give a little bit of that back to the Culture First community and the community of people geeks, I mean, there kind of isn't a better way to say thank you than to give back what you've been given. And so that Culture Amp's giving me this opportunity is an honor that I don't take lightly. Well, if you want to hear more from Aubrey, from Craig, as well as Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, there's only one thing you have to do. You need to stop listening to this podcast and head to culturefirstglobal.cultureamp.com. Uh, when you sign up, make sure you're a listener, that you say that you're a listener of the podcast. That lets me know how many of you are out there, as well as a chance to recognize you with some special gifts along the way. So, Aubrey, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today, for being a part of this episode, for talking about how to build an anti-racist organization, as well as um, being here to share some of the big reveals. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. It's been an honor and super fun. Thank you to Aubrey for joining me on the Culture First podcast. Now, when I catch up with Aubrey for our regular meetings, we often joke that we should just record them because we often find ourselves deep in conversation, challenging assumptions we've held and discussing ways to improve workplace culture. Now, I could easily interview Aubrey every single week just to sit down and discuss the world of work and maybe we should make another show. But until then, I would love to know who you'd like to hear from on the Culture First podcast. 
You can send me a tweet or a message on either you know Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram and let me know who you'd like to hear from. It can be anyone in terms of a famous speaker, a author, someone who's you know out there that you want to hear from. Or it could be someone who's a bit undiscovered, someone who you want to amplify their voice. I'm open to hearing all the suggestions. So please feel free to send me a message and let me know who you would like to hear from. But if you're sitting here saying, no, Damon, I want to hear more from Aubrey. Well, we all do, trust me. And that just means that you need to sign up for our Culture First experience. As she's going to be one of our MCs for our North America event alongside my friend and colleague, Craig Foreman. So... You need to head to culturefirstglobal.cultureamp.com to get your free ticket. You're going to hear from Professor Ibram X. Kendi. You're going to hear from Susan David, as well as from our MCs. And over the coming weeks, I'm going to introduce you to more of our speakers. But for now, that wraps up this episode of the Culture First podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this episode. And if you haven't already, please leave a review if you've enjoyed the episode. It truly means a lot to me to read all the different ways that these episodes are impacting you. So to everyone who's left a review so so far, uh, a big thank you. It really does mean a lot. So thank you for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and we'll be back soon for another episode of the Culture First podcast. Have a great day.